0: There are two great events in the life of the nation of Israel, two great events. They define their history by these two moments. There was the moment that they came out of Egypt and crossed over the Red Sea, and there was the moment, after 40 years in the desert, that they passed over the Jordan River and entered the The Promised Land. Two great moments. These two great moments have their parallel in the Christian life for us today. And this is why this book is so relevant to us. The moment we got saved, you came to Christ, was it not a great moment? You were called out of Egypt, which is a picture of the world in a bondage to sin. You didn't even know you were in bondage to sin down there in Egypt. And God called us and we crossed over and got saved. We're going to parallel those two great moments. And the second great moment for any believer is the moment when they understand and see that the Christian life is not by works of effort but fully by the grace of God, fully received, wherein God has accomplished everything you need. And it's a matter of not trying harder, but trusting deeper. Don't take that second moment for granted. There are many believers who never get to that moment, who die in the wilderness of the dryness and never experience the abundant life That Christ promised. So I want us to look at those two great moments in contrast. And I want you to look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. Because these two verses set up the context. And by the way, chapter 1, verse 10 begins Joshua commanding, leading the people. In practical nature. He spent the first nine verses in communion with God where God spoke to him clearly about the adventure and about the conquest and reassuring him to be strong and courageous. It's always in that order, you know. Believers draw service out of communion and the quietness when God speaks is the prelude to him doing something in your life. It's never the flip-flop. And so that's an important order to, to, to note. Notice verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people. Now Joshua was a general. Joshua wasn't a spiritual leader up until this point. So he was familiar with commanding officers. And this is what he begins to do. Let's contrast the two great moments before we look at those verses. Uh, The map behind me, you will see this is Egypt over here. This is Goshen. This is where the Jews were placed in uh, slave labor camps to build the bricks for the pyramids of Ramses and and the pharaohs. 400 years they were there. 400 years in bondage. That's generation after generation after generation. They were slaves. Now when you're in bondage for that long, you get a mentality. You get an identity. You identify yourself with being under the bondage of someone else. It's a slave mentality. It took our country a couple hundred, and we're still processing the injury to our country of the slave labor in our early history. That mentality is hard to shake off. Anyway, after 400 years, God led them out. And if you'll study the Exodus, which is a fascinating study, God said, I'm not, the easiest route would have been right up here through the land of the. Philistines up into Canaan land. Right there. See it? It's all dry land, easy pass. But God said, I will not lead them in that direction because if I do, they'll have an opportunity to return to Egypt. Notice no mention of Pharaoh's army chasing them or God's concern over that. He could have wiped them out in the desert as easily as he drowned them in a sea. That's not an issue. The issue is the people of Israel with their mindset, with the opportunity to go back over that landmass, back down into Egypt. God said, I'm going to lead them differently. So he takes them out of here and he brings them down this coastline right down here. Over a matter of weeks, they kind of wandered, 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 got about there. Now think back when you got saved. Were there not some weeks and months that the pressure of the Holy Spirit was bearing upon you, that you knew that something was wrong, that you needed Christ and you didn't know you needed him? God was upsetting your life, making you dissatisfied with the things you had and the people in your life? God carries us in unusual paths. My story's different than yours. It was a matter of five or six months for me that I began to try to clean my life up. I quit smoking. I cut my drinking down. I began to be very lonely and dissatisfied with life. I was 18, 19 years old. And after four, five, six months of that misery, I always was a happy guy. God was bringing me through misery because he was taking me out of Egypt. It wasn't until August of 1979 that I gave my heart to Christ. But the path is unusual, isn't it? It always is. doesn't make a lick of sense. God rarely does. So they wandered down here and they crossed over the Red Sea. And the moment was dramatic. You can't write stuff that good. Moses, in the spirit of Charlton Heston, lifted the rod up. And the waters parted, and dry land appeared. The Israelites had their backs against the water, if you will, cornered. God sets up a screen, a a fiery cloud that they could not get through as God split the sea. Israelites didn't create a pump system. They didn't get their shovels out and begin to dig a trench. This was the work of God Almighty, and they were just standing there watching God split the waters, and they passed through. Notice, Scripture is careful to say, they passed through it. When we get to Jordan, the terminology is different. They're going to pass over, not through. We'll see why in just a moment. But as they walked through on that dry land and those walls of water on each side, they got to the other side and they turned around and in came the Pharaoh's army after them. They got about halfway through, and you know the story, their chariots began to bog down in the mud, and they knew they were in trouble. They tried to retreat. And you know the story. God took those walls of water and collapsed them drowned Pharaoh's army. And the Israelites stood on the shore and they watched a baptism of death before their very eyes. Chariots floated in the water. Dead bodies of Pharaoh's soldiers washed up on the shore. Watch this. Why would God do something so dramatic? He was changing their identity. He was changing their mindset. He was saying, this is 400 years of your bondage, drowned and dead in the Red Sea. These are the men who held you in ca- captivity. They're gone. So separated in their minds was their old life that they were ready to march toward Canaan land. They watched the baptism of death. Everything and who they were was buried in, I'm telling you, everything in your life before you got saved is buried in death. It does not exist. I don't even talk about my past before Christ. Come ask me a question of who I was before I was saved and I won't even even talk to you about it because it's gone. It's buried. So, they got We get saved at the Red Sea. I love the fact it's called the Red Sea. The blood of Christ washes over us and we're clean. And now we march, and God's will was for them to directly go to Kadesh Barnea, cross, pass over the Jordan River, and enter into the Promised Land. But you know that's not what they did. You know that's not what they did. They walked up to there, and all they saw were the giants in the land. Now, what is this clearly a picture of? Canaan land is, again, a picture of sin and flesh still within the life of the believer. When God saved you, he didn't take the flesh away. We still have the propensity to sin, to be miserable creatures. We were in bondage to sin in Egypt. But out in the desert where we're trying to live for God, there's dryness. Dryness. You ever been dry as a Christian? You ever gone through years of dryness? You ever try and be disciplined and, and give your best for Jesus? And you're working to this thing, and some of us went on for weeks and months and years. I worked at that for 20 years, and there was a dryness within. Get to the land of Canaan, and they refused. And God said, for 40 years, you're going out in the desert. Until you face the fact that your nation and you as a human being cannot please God by your efforts. Now, it's interesting that the entire generation had to die off. Not a man except Joshua and Caleb from that generation went in. Let me tell you what I think that is. Unless you're willing to think differently, you'll never enter God's promise of deliverance and victory. You hold on to your religious beliefs, your religious disciplines, you will never enter into grace. You just won't. It takes the young, fresh mind, does it not, to embrace something brand new. Now, it doesn't mean us with old minds can't be refreshed and new, but you got to think completely different than you ever thought before. So those are the two great moments, the Red Sea, the passing over. Now, let's go back to the text. By the way, I just included this picture, it has nothing to do with sermon, but I kind of like it. <laughs> Isn't that kind of cool? Land of milk and honey, it has nothing to do, promised land milk, there it is, okay, all right. Back to Joshua. Take a look at chapter 1, verse 10. And again, we are talking not only of Joshua passing over the Jordan, but us entering a life of grace. It's different. Chapter 1, verse 10, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, verse 11, this is what he commanded them, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Now, There's organizational structure here that I want you to see that was not with Moses. Moses led a million Jews out. There was no officers of the people. He commanded the entire renegade group of Israelites. But when he got out at Mount Sinai, God had him organize the people with structure, with officers of the people. Now, when you got saved, How much did you really understand about Christianity? Hardly a thing. You knew God was doing, somebody was doing something to me. And it was almost like after it was all over, you're like, what happened to me? I know Jesus died for me, and I believed on that. And I I know I'm forgiven of my sins. Other than that, I'm Mr. Clueless here. I don't know. And what is required to begin to... Understand victory is a structured approach to Christianity where you understand that now you got saved, you are to be a part of the body of Christ. That this thing's a lot bigger than just you getting your sins forgiven. That you are to be part of the camp, if you will. There's no such idea in the New Testament about individual Christianity. We are the Christianity of the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul is very clear about spiritual growth. And he says, until we all come to the acknowledgement of the truth. All of us together as a church. This is not about me growing and you growing. This is about us growing as a body of Christ. So there's structure within the camp now. It's different. There's officers of the people. They pass through and there's an announcement. Look at verse 11 command the people by the way that's the second word time he used the word command he commanded and he told the officers to command the people what does this speak to there is an authority in preaching there's an authority in the message of grace there's an authority that we as preachers and teachers have to communicate truth in a very definite and powerful way that is Teaching and preaching for you to rest in grace, to trust in Christ, to trust in his cross. This is not a suggestion of principles by way you live your life. This is an announcement of authority about a person that you are connected to and he is connected in you. It is about us taking the message of the cross and welding it into the body of Christ. There's authority here. There's a command. The gospel isn't a suggestion. Entering into the land isn't a fun suggestion from God. It's a command to go in. Notice. Prepare your, pro, your provisions. Now, at this point, I, I, I do love the old King James when it says prepare your victuals." If you got a King James, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, this meant probably wasn't food. This was probably provisions because at this time they were still getting manna from heaven. The manna didn't stop until they got into the promised land. So there were no victuals to prepare at this point. Because if you know anything about the Old Testament about the manna, if you kept it more than a day, it grew worms and rotted. There was no leftovers for manna unless it was the sabbath day so this wasn't necessarily food this was provisions but i want to stop and say this watch this he said prepare your provisions because in three days there was preparation there was a time gap there was a calculated move into grace do you understand that's different than the red sea at the red sea you showed up your back was against the wall you saw God's movement, you saw that Christ died for you, you got saved, you showed up on the other side of the shore, you're not still not sure how you got over there because God did it. And so you're just you know, the whole thing was like this pressured thing. When they left the Passover, remember the Passover? Remember the Passover down in down in Egypt? The blood? It was fast. It was quick. You didn't have time to prepare. In fact, that's why there's unleavened bread. Because there was no time for the yeast. To take effect in the bread that's why it's unleavened it's flat they didn't have time for it to ferment grab your stuff we're going i tried that on a vacation once with karen i'll never do it again because it didn't go real well <laughs> this is a woman who likes to know where she's going and to be prepared for it i said grab your suitcase we're going she went but after the weekend i thought i'll never try that again but down in israel god came and said grab your stuff we're going but not when they got to the River Jordan. They'd had 40 years to think about it. And then when they got there, there was a preparation of their provisions and they said, we're going to sit here for three days before we go in. Now, when you got saved, you realized Christ died for your sins. Very simple message. But the message of grace that not only did he die for you, but you died in him, is now to be thought out carefully in your mind. It is to be approached, not quickly, but slowly with an understanding that victory over the meanness in my life is a victory that Christ wrought at the cross because I died with him and he separated me from the anger, from the hurt, from the sin within me. It is a calculated, slow process that you think through, that you embrace. No rush. Three days. Prepare yourself and understand in a very calculated way you're going to receive the grace of God now for him to be your very life. Different. So different take a look beyond prepare your provisions for within 3 days you are to pass over now the red sea pass through the jordan pass over what's the difference you ever you ever say to somebody i'm praying for you for what you're going through it's the idea things have happened beyond your control or perhaps as a result of what you did that you didn't want to have happen something You know, you're just going through something that you didn't plan on. I'm telling you, who planned on getting saved? Nobody. He called us. God saved us, pulled us out of Egypt. We passed through that thing, and hallelujah, we did. But passing over, this is our place to claim by faith what God has already done for us. It said that the waters did not, you'll see it when we get there, the, the foot of the priest, when it stepped into the Jordan, began to dry up. It didn't split. It didn't split. It dried up. And it dried up upstream at a town that's kind of fascinating. The name of the town is kind of interesting. We'll get there. But when they put their foot in that river, it dried up. And with every step of their foot as they passed over, they were claiming authority in a victory that God had already purchased for them. Do you understand the difference? Now in a very understanding and calculated way, we claim that we have been crucified with Christ. We claim by faith that we have been buried with Christ. We believe that we are new creatures because we have rose again with Him. We claim by faith that He lives in us, regardless of how we live in any particular moment. We claim and believe that God has a purpose for our lives. We claim and believe that He is working through us all the time. All the time. Not just on Sundays. Not just when we feel good about Him and Him about us. We believe that in the hardest times and the most difficult crises of our lives, God is at work. I claim that. I believe that. I'm passing over. I'm stepping into what he's doing. and am passing over. It's a world of difference. The Red Sea, we were pretty confused. Although we understood that he died for us. Other than that, what in the world do we get ourselves into? But at the Jordan, we now see victory like we've never seen it before. We see the land of milk and honey. We know it's over there. We know. In fact, look at the last part of verse 11. That you are to pass over this Jordan, and you are to go in to take possession. Take it. Now, God's giving it, but you got to take it. You see the difference? There's a great statement in Deuteronomy. We're going to go back to Deuteronomy next week. Talk about the two and a half tribes that were on the other side of the Jordan and how that happened. Deuteronomy is the preaching pulpit of Moses. Did you know that? I recently discovered that the entire book is is Moses preaching. And one statement in Deuteronomy said, God brought you out to bring you in. He took you out of Egypt for the purpose of bringing you into the land of victory. God didn't save you for to be miserable in the desert. He saved you to experience victory over sin in your life. See, the world says this. The world says this. My problems are out there. And so I'm going to fix what's inside. The the world says, get rid of that person. The world says, fix that situation. Move here, do this. My problems are you. And so I'm going to fix what's inside of me. But the Bible says, your problems are not out there. Your problems are in here. And you'll never fix in here. Because your solution is out there. The one who died for you and you died with him. See, the totally different Bible answer to the situation. There's something wrong inside of us. And it takes someone outside of us constantly to alter that. Notice he says to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Victory is yours. Victory is mine. It's there, man. This is what he died to give us. He did not die to give you a trip in the desert where your whole Christian life is this somehow dry experience where you'd rather be somewhere else or you're trying to figure out Christianity. He died and took you and plunged you into the death of Christ. He buried us. He rose us again. And we are to partake. We are to possess Fully. We went out to eat last week with the whole family. And um, the whole family. And so Avonlea wasn't doing well. And at the dinner table, she was tired. She was something. She was whiny. So Karen took her out for a while. and Then I took her out for a while. And as I sat with her on that bench outside Texas Roadhouse Grill, trying to calm her, she would not calm down. I put her on my shoulder and only supposed how much slobber was running down my jacket, but that's fine. She's mine. And so after about 15, 20 minutes of her crying, I rose her up, and I said, Avonlea. Well, apparently she thought that Pop wanted to kiss, and with that big snotty nose running all that, she just, <laughs> and it was so quick I couldn't get away from it all salty and you know she just shared and she redefined the term big sloppy kiss for me <laughs> but you know she's mine she's ours and so that's okay you know just wipe it off and go on in god and what he has done for us trying to work this into the sermon i'm not quite sure how this works the story i'm sure i just wanted to tell you <laughs> i'm not even gonna try <laughs> number one we are to consciously pass over into a life of grace this isn't something you trip into this is something where you stop trying and begin to trust this is a change of your spirit and your mind where you refuse you refuse to try to be a good Christian any longer and you believe that Christ loves you and lives in you and if he wants to do the work let him do the work I'm going to just get out of his way that's a conscious decision that's a casting off of the pride of thinking I can add anything to Christ I can't I can't do anything for him I can't I can't live for him I can't I can't please him he's already pleased with me It's a conscious decision to live my life resting in what he wants to do in me. All the pressure's off. I told you a story years ago about a college professor, and uh, he got us, five or six of us guys in there, and he he gave all these syllabus, you know, he gave all the syllabus about how to, you know, make it A, and all the things you had to do, and all the guys were stressing, and you know, they were asking, well, what about that research paper, and what if it's this, and what if it's that? Finally got frustrated, and he looked at the class, and he said, fellas, fellas, relax. Everybody got 100, all right? Everybody gets 100 for the class. Now, let's learn. I mean, there was a, there was a air sucked out of the room. All the guys were like, oh, God, thank you. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if everybody got 100 if he kept his word. But you see, when there's no more performance-based Christianity, all the pressure's off. Amen. Now you can do a most phenomenal thing. You can enjoy Him every day. You can enjoy Him. That's a, that's a novel thought, isn't it? I was never taught it for years and years, that you actually can enjoy Christ. Notice, passing over is only the first step. You see, they haven't got to Jericho yet. They haven't got to Ai yet. They haven't got to the, the fortresses that are in there. If you think by passing over into this mentality of grace is the answer, it's just the first step. It's like a kid who comes home from kindergarten, his first day, and said, Mom, I learned everything. I don't have to go back tomorrow. <laughs> it's like a husband and wife who come home for the honeymoon and think, all right, we got this marriage thing solved. Right. You're just the first step. There's so much to learn. There's so much depth. There's so much reality. We'll never get to the bottom of it as an individual and mostly as a church. We've been traveling this road for several years now together, and I see phenomenal changes in the life of this church, amazing things that God is doing that he could never do under law, that he's doing, changing my life, changing your life, changing our corporate life as a church. We've got so much more territory to claim. You never get to the bottom of it. You just never do. And number three, I want you to notice that in these two verses that the commanding of the people goes, there is no talk of Jericho. There is no talk of the giants in the land. There is no talk of the dangers. None. If you'll notice, it says... And the Lord your God is the emphasis of the conquering. You see that? I mean, if I was Joshua, I'd have drawn up a plan and said, these are the guys who live over there. They live, I think we could be, look, any army in this world is foolish if they don't study their enemy. That's one of the keys of warfare. Know your enemy. As the Godfather would say, Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I do the accent thing, but, you know. (laughs) God says you don't have to study the enemy. I've done that. I know how to defeat him. You just need to keep your eyes on me. Not him. Not her. Not them. Not the situation. Stop thinking about the enemy. Really, your enemy is you looking at your enemy. That's your real enemy. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on the Lord your God.